0: Welcome to the Future of NFTs, brought to you by AdLunum, the first engaged-to-earn proof-of-attention IDO launchpad. Hosted by co-founder Natya Vester, we bring you exclusive insights on NFTs, the revolutionary digital technology that's transforming the world as we know it. Hey Web3 world. This is Natcha Bester from AtLunum, and you are listening to the future of NFTs, the show that looks beyond current NFT use cases to what non-fungible token technology is evolving into. All this as seen through the eyes and built by the brilliant minds of the fascinating guest speakers we speak to each week. AtLunum is building the industry's first IDO launchpad with a proof of attention allocation mechanism. We also deep dive into the world of NFTs because as an investment platform, we are contributing to the future of NFTs through our Engage to Earn model, which is powered by dynamic NFT investor profiles and allocation fractionalization. So very excited to be having with us on the show today, Shahar, I'm going to probably butcher your name so i apologize in advance and please correct me uh shahar nehmad i'm not sure if i'm anywhere close to how i'm pronouncing uh how I'm supposed okay. to- <laughs> companies in the world among them ebay salesforce google the uk government accenture various cell phone providers and more so very happy to be on the show today, representing us as uh, re- joining us uh, as a representative of uh, again, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, Reve- re- you know what? Can you can you please pronounce it, and then I don't I don't make any unnecessary mistakes.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, Revel at dot x y z.
0: All right, awesome. You know, err on the side of caution. So, Revel is a very very. Platform. Um, and you are definitely going to hear very shortly about why that is. So, what I personally love, the description that I love best um, so, as a social collectibles platform, which we are going to get into, the way that Revel describes themselves is as a cross between Instagram and Robin Hood wrapped in social game dynamics. So Instagram, of course, I think needs no introduction as a social media platform. Uh, Robinhood, uh, you might know, an investing in trading platform uh, that also became quite famous during the GameStop saga. So Ravel uh, blends both of these sort of approaches, the Instagram approach, as well as the Robinhood approach. And I just before the call right now, I went onto the app. I registered an account, even my... which was a really cool onboarding process so i'm very excited to get into things so thank you so much for joining us um this is such a pertinent discussion at such a pertinent time i uh i just returned from nft paris and The future is bright. Let's put it this way. There were 15,000 people in attendance. Um, I was just telling my team earlier on the call, on our our monthly team call today, just how incredible it is to see during a market like the one that we've been having. uh, And all of the the news about NFTs being dead, being greatly over-exaggerated, because you really could tell just the amount of people coming from a Web2 space or from other traditional spaces There were children walking around with their parents and so much of the conference was art focused, which it's so difficult when you are having conversations with people who are not as well-versed in the NFT space for them to say, well, NFTs, it's just that digital art stuff that doesn't make sense and, and the monkey pictures. So I'm really happy to be talking to you about this today because I think that the conversation within the industry is far more developed than the PR machine is putting, you know, what's happening out there in the, in the rest of the world. Um, so with that, yeah, thank you for joining us. And please let me know, um, what are you guys building? And how did you get into building this?
1: Yeah, um, so Reveal, kind of like you said, it's a, we call it a social collectible uh, platform where basically we allow anyone to create his own baseball cards. Um, So, you know, in the US, uh, when you're a kid, you kind of exchange baseball cards. Um, I grew up in Israel and I, you know, for me, it was like Dungeons and Dragons card, Um, but, you know, every country has their own thing. And uh, we basically allow anyone to create their own digital collectibles. So you can uh, use a lot of our AI tools to create your own art or you can bring the same kind of photos and videos you used to post to TikTok and Instagram and other social networks. And instead of just posting them to a feed, you can actually convert them to some sort of playing cards. And this of course backed by web free and NFTs, but then you can very easily start to trade and uh, sell them to other people um, in a very social way. So we really kind of try to mimic what uh, the, I kind of call it the experience in high school was. Where you know I can come and say, you know, I'll give you five of my cards uh, for two of your cards and you know I won one dollar more. And you can say, well, you know, I don't want these deals, but if you give me these ten cards, I'm gonna give you these five cards. We can kinda of hugger and trade with each other and you know stuff like that. So it's a very it's a very social experience. Um, we also you know kind of added like the typical social network features of um, following after people. Uh, follow the influencers you like, the creators you like, getting messages from them, uh, chatting with other creators, um, all this kind of stuff. So it's a very, it feels a bit more like a game and there's a lot of other gaming mechanics that you kind of implemented than, you know, your typical OpenSea or Blur or, you know, typical NFT marketplace.
0: Yeah, well, this is this is precisely why I'm so excited to have you on the show because I think what we've been seeing over the last, I would say, especially the last year or so, is there's been a proliferation of NFT marketplaces. And we have been seeing the same uh, because AdLunum, I mean, is essentially a launchpad. And we've been seeing the same where when we initially you know, envisioned uh, the birth of AdLunum, launchpads were far more there was one over there and one over there, and there was a new one over here, but but there weren't too many. Um, and ever since, I mean, every platform seems to have a launchpad. And what we've seen, because our focus as a launchpad is so incredibly on engagement, on the social aspect, um, we've seen that we've been able to to ride this wave and come out still very relevant on the other end. And this is something that I'm seeing with you guys as well. Because if I'm an artist on the one hand, which marketplace do I choose? If I'm a collector, again, which marketplace do I choose? And I think the fascinating thing about Web3 in the art space, especially, is there's a tremendous social dimension. Um, I always think of Web3 as a great democratizer in so many different aspects. Everything it touches, it ends up democratizing. And no less in the art space, where in the traditional pre-Web3 industry, I mean, I know that there's still gatekeepers in Web3 as well. But the gatekeepers in that, in the in the old art institution, uh, was far more strict about who is being let in. And I mean, the glass ceiling was really quite low. And as soon as Web3 started being introduced, I mean, this this is why we saw this explosion of art in 2020 and even in, into 2021, um, because people were finally able to express themselves and get in front of others. But I think this sort of one way and even slight two way to an extent, because we have kind of Web3 Twitter where people are able to talk directly to the artists, but it was still not as free flowing and free sharing of the community aspect. Um, and I think this is yeah. what you guys are doing with the platform is really building into the core of your DNA as a company, this engagement and social aspect. So very curious. Um, you mentioned creators and influencers. Um, I have been working on a book uh, where I look you're explaining web three and looking very closely at what this is going to mean for creators and the creator economy going forward. And this, I mean, Web3 as a whole is just a huge opportunity for creators, either existing creators that are already creating and already have brands and platforms, or new ones that continue to come in. Because I mean, since COVID, people's eyes have opened. They realize that there's a different way than to go to the office 8 to 5 and come home tired and you know sleep on the weekend. Um, so I'm really interested to hear in building the platform and in building, I mean, as I said earlier, I loved going on the app and the onboarding process was completely easy and straightforward. Um, who is it that you are targeting? Uh, and what is your, what is your vision for the platform going forward in terms of user adoption?
1: Yeah. So, um there's two ways to look at this. So the first thing is that we really early on decided that we're not going to go just after the web-free community, but we really want to build something that can serve millions and kind of onboard Web2 users into web-free. Um, take that, plus that our decision to be a native app on the App Store of Apple and Google, which has its limitations compar- uh, for web-free, you know, it kind of actually pushed us to a model where If you care about NFTs, if you care about Web3, great. You know anything you create on our platform, you can take it after that. You'll be able to sell it on other marketplaces. You know you have full ownership of this. But if you don't have a wallet and you don't really care about Web3, you can still come in and really enjoy the platform just as a trading, selling uh, kind of game. Um, The second thing we kind of implemented is. The gaming mechanics are not just in order to gamify uh, the economy. It's also in order to have sensible economy rules from day one. So if you're a web tour, you know, you have a lot of fans on TikTok, um, you might, you heard about NFTs, you know, you want to get into NFTs, you know, there's something there that's very interesting for you. But a lot of them just don't really know what to do. You know, how many NFTs they need to create, At what frequency they need to create them, how, uh, how to distribute them, all this kind of stuff. So we really try to build something that you can come and immediately start to mint your stuff. And we'll have our own mechanism to actually help you not oversaturate your market, not create too many things, you know, right away. Um, how to actually distribute them, all the rarities for different cards you create. So all this is kind of built in. And I think this is one of the things that uh, the creators who are already on a platform really appreciate and really like. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we have creators who are you know, totally professional creators, they're artists, they have millions of followers on other social platforms. Um, and we have, uh, you know, people who are, you know, in college and they just want to create really cool art and distribute it to their friends and, you know, get their friends to actually follow and, and use this. Um, it, it's, it's still early on. Honestly, I'm not 100% sure, you know, who's going to be the end, uh, the big target group who's going to adopt this. Um, yeah, we'll see.
0: Yeah, I, I think you touch on such an important point because it's difficult at this stage to focus on only one user persona um, because things are shifting so quickly. You have the the diehard Web3 dgens and you know, that's a very specific culture and it's a specific culture that most people, A, will never be part of and B, that most people wouldn't want to be part of. Um, which is why, you know, they are actively not part of it. So <laughs> I I've, I've felt that the conversations in web three have centered so much in this echo chamber of, well, I'm talking to you because you know what I mean. And I know what you mean and you know, no words are necessary, but then as soon as you move this conversation out of this sort of inner circle and wow. you talk to the average person it's exceedingly difficult to explain what it is you do without using Web3 lingo. And I face this problem every single day with Adelunum. And even now that I'm writing the book, because I don't necessarily talk to everyone I meet about my, about my work, but when you're writing a book, it, it very easily comes up in conversation. And as soon as someone hears Web3, that they start peppering me with questions. So I've been finding myself having very foundational one-on-one conversations with people every single day. And it has opened my eyes because we are leapfrogging ahead, light years ahead of where most of the market is. And no one seems to be really having those conversations with people at a scale where it's genuinely creating an educational change. So I love the approach that you took. And really, again, I I experienced this when I was doing your onboarding, um, because I always check myself. If I didn't know what I was doing, how would this experience have been for me? And it was really simple and straightforward. And I think this is exactly the thing in my experience that holds so much user adoption back. Because as you say, if you want to go onto the App Store, you aren't going to have all the nifty web three features that we've come to love. But at the same time, if it's not on the app store, probably most people are not even going to know that it exists. So yeah, love the the, the agility with which you are building. Like it's being built and it's there and you, multiple people can come on and use it and make it their own. Um, but who have you been seeing so far? Who is your sort of, typical core target user group uh, that's active at the moment
1: yeah I think, I think it's um, I think it's two like the two main the two biggest groups we have right now are um, your know, web 2 influencers people who have let's say you know 10,000 to 20,000 and plus uh, to millions of followers and they kind of wanted to go into web 3 and this is a very easy way for them to start trading the water and, you know, see what they can do. Um, and the second is more, I would say, hobbyist traders. Um, so, and especially ones who are, uh, tend to use AI tools. So one of the things that, you know, we were very lucky was that just a few months after we launched our beta, um, Stability Diffusion came and then Midjourney and Dali and the whole generative art movement came to pass, uh, sorry, came, uh, came up. And uh, we decided to really not just hug it, but really adopt it uh, very strongly. Um, And uh, so, you know, we have a lot of different AI tools. We just released the first ever um, way to create your own animated avatars and not just like static images. Um, And we see a lot of kind of, again, hobbyist creators use these tools to start to create their own art and get distribution to it. And, you know, some of them probably not going to make... You know the 2080 or the 190 rule. Probably most of them are not going to make a lot of money, but they are going to create some communities and uh, get feedback and just enjoy it. Uh, but it, we definitely also see people start to actually sell it and make some money, um, even in this early days. Um, but you know, also to what you just said, I think, I think what you mentioned is exactly the difference between 2000, let's say 21, 22 to 2023. It's going to be this move between, um, let's say, NFT purist and, you know, everyone has to have a wallet and everyone has to do everything in a very web-free purist way to NFT is just a technology on the back that actually builds some new digital experiences, but most users not going to even know or care if it's, you know, called NFT or any other name, you know, the industry will give it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, we are in for a very exciting ride, um, because exactly as you say, ultimately, it's about digital experiences. And we've been on the internet long enough uh, to really be craving new experiences. We've come through the Web2 era where it was what it was, and it was good while it lasted. But I think, you know, it's almost like living in post-capitalism. You You can see that that it's it's shifting and you don't quite know what it's shifting to, but for sure things are going to change and it's not going to be business as usual. So what what I'm wondering about is as a marketplace, um, you are really at the forefront of seeing what people are producing. Um, We have come through, as you say, this, this crazy wave of, I mean, everyone got on, two NFTs in 2020, and a lot of people, because of that hype and that rush, uh, it, it piqued their curiosity, and they've stayed, and they've kind of, or, or they've come in late, and they started exploring. Um, and now, with because I, because I saw your your launch of personas, the the generative AI tool as well. Uh, I of course I have to go do it after after this call just to see how I will look as a as an AI avatar NFT. Um, this is a trend i mean that that's really been huge over the last few months uh generative ai in general has been a huge conversation and i am extremely curious to understand in the nft space how has generative ai shifted things are you seeing that now a lot more people are using ai uh, or is there still a majority that uses their own art or is there a split i'm very curious to see how you are finding this evolving
1: yeah i think I think it's just starting to go um into crypto and nFT in general right um I mean first of all, you know it kind of feels like generative AI has been with us forever but you know it's probably been just like four five months you know uh so it, it's super super early um that said also I think one of the big problems right now besides us, there's just maybe one or two platforms that really love you to go from, uh, you know, put in a prompt, get in a few results, enhance the results to actually be on chain. Um, And again, so most people will go to MidJourney and create some amazingly beautiful things. uh, They don't have the knowledge right now how to take what they created and go and mint this and, you know, make it a full NFT. Um, So I think that's kind of like the next phase of connecting these two together in a much more... um, adhesive way. Um, and then I think one of the big advantages Web3 has to offer to the AI world is, you know, when everyone has access to the same AI tools, it also means that everyone can create the same art. It means if you know I can put the same prompt like you, it might not come exactly the same, but we can definitely create very similar things. Uh, which goes to the root question of like, how do I prove that what I created is really what I created. And not just, you know, I stole you, I took a screenshot of what you have and now I'm posting this again. And I think this is where Web3 obviously uh, with NFTs can really be a huge advantage because the moment I create something, I can mint it as an NFT, put it on a chain and I have a proof that this is something that I, I actually created in the same process. Um, so I think this is kind of like the future of the intersection between uh, Web3 and uh, AI is going to be.
0: And then I also want to know if we talk about content creation, because one of the revelations that I see on a daily basis is how the definition of content creation is being just transformed. Um, content creation, community engagement, like these are things that, This has been with us, I wouldn't say as old as time, because probably technology helped quite a bit, but uh, it it feels like it's been with us, you know, since the beginning of time. Um, And over the years, we've seen such a shift. Uh, I found it so interesting. I'm in Hungary, and I saw in Budapest yesterday, there's a building from, I don't know, the, the, the 50s or the 60s or the 70s, and it's an old communist building with an advertisement on the roof. And... Like, obviously, communist advertisement is not quite the same as diamonds are a girl's best friend. But it really drove home for me the idea that we have been creating content around powerful ideas, whatever those ideas might be, for eons. And the content very often sticks around in some form and now we have web three and we are truly able to immortalize content in a way that you know we, we couldn't before i had this terrible experience uh yesterday or the day before in, in in germany where i was taking a connecting flight and i forgot my notebook uh which had been my grandmother's notebook from 1944 uh on the plane and now i can't find the notebook and the airline can't find the notebook and i was thinking to myself you know I had never thought to preserve the notebook digitally uh, because I owned it in real life. And suddenly with this event, now it's potentially lost to me. And again, it reminds you that being on-chain is not only about buying and selling, but there's so many use cases for really just preserving content as well. So in terms of what you are focusing on, on the platform, how do you see this idea of owning and trading and selling content, uh, how does it fit into everyday people's lives? Because the argument that I always get um when I talk to newbies and people who don't know too much about what's happening in the industry and don't really understand the technology is, you know, the right click save. Why would I want to have something on chain if uh, I mean, I can just save it or I can look at it on the internet and why would I buy it if it's free? And so I feel like there's a huge mist around this idea of why should digital collectibles exist in the first place? So could you speak a little bit uh, from the perspective of a marketplace? Why is this actually important?
1: Yeah, I think it's... um... Look like when I try to explain NFTs to people, you know, I, I really like the Mona Lisa example that we all see, you know, in many places, because it, 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 it is really true, right? Like there is just one real Mona Lisa that's worth 200 million plus, but there's a million other um, copies of it in every gift store that uh, they don't worth like they're worth $10. I think that problem people have is understanding the like physical aspect where physical art is very much like digital art. And digital art can be as valuable as physical art, um, uh, you know, in the, same, in the same way. And I think that's kind of like um, a mental leap that some people uh, need to do. And us as a society start to do it, like until NFTs, we haven't seen people paying uh, huge amounts of money for digital art, but now you can actually do it. And now, because now um, people uh, can actually prove that this is the art, this is the original art. This is the first thing that I created. Um, everything else is just copies. Everything else is done is just the copies of the Mona Lisa sold in, our, in different kind of gift stores. And owning the original always gonna be more valuable than you know, owning uh, just some copies. Um, at the same time, you know we are trying to take the same concept and put them into the social media aspect of uh, the fact that I can fully own the social media that I produce, the user generated content that I produce. Instead of just putting um, videos into TikTok all the time and TikTok actually owns my content, I can put the content into a platform where I have full ownership of this content. I can do whatever I want with this content. And I can also decide to sell it because if I'm more famous or if I'm a really good artist, there's some people who actually Willing really to put uh, to pay money uh, for my content. Um, I think it's a it's a very early on, and we need to see if this uh, concept actually evolve and you know take off. Um, but you know that's kind of our vision. We think that in the end of the day, everyone needs to be able to own uh, their own social media content and be able to monetize it if they want to. Um, you can, and by the way, you can also decide no. I just want to give it for free to everyone. Uh, it's really up to you. It's your own business model. Uh, But it kind of goes back to the fact that uh, we are all, in some ways, we are all just, you know, we are all a brand. We all have a brand. And um, it's my personal brand, and I can decide how I want to monetize it and how I want to use my content. I hope it kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah, that that is brilliant because I always say the problem that I see in Web3 is people are not used to the idea of being self-sovereign and in the same way people are not used to the idea of well as you said you are like you create your own business model you are your own brand if you are a professional that moves in these spaces like I have a marketing background I mean this is you know a no-brainer to me But if you are not somebody that works in a field where this is pertinent, and if you are not someone who works in a job role where this is relevant, it can be extremely foreign to think of this concept of, well, A, I'm my own brand. I mean, what if I don't have anything to sell? Clearly, I'm not a brand then. Um, And especially the idea that content that you create is not owned by you. Um, I mean, if I think about how much I've put into social media over the years, and this has been across multiple different platforms. And I, I've had times where I was very active on one platform and then moved to another, but the thread that runs between all of them is they are like my digital graveyards. This is where those me's that have existed in those times and in those spaces, they are encapsulated in this, in this, uh, on these platforms, but I don't own the data that's on there, even though it's my data. And this, I think, is something that is so important for people to talk about and to understand why this is not healthy, because we have, you know, if you go to the bookstore, you have books on the shelves about digital detox and social media addiction and, and really internalizing the problem that's actually quite systemic Uh, If we think about Web2 platforms, they have been built in a certain way to get people to stay on there as long as possible, produce as much content as possible without being rewarded for it because we are the product. We are the, this free product that we are using, we then end up being the product. And I think the conversation now is shifting so dramatically and especially with platforms uh, such as yours where it's really emphasized that as you say you have a business model that you own that you can have control over that you have creative license to shape in different ways and forms so when people onboard onto the platform what are some of the biggest difficulties that you see them having because i know you said earlier that you really support new users um, to shape the way that they use the platform. But what are some of the commonalities you see in terms of areas where people are still having difficulty understanding sort of the shift in consciousness, so to speak?
1: Yeah, I think um, it, it's exactly the stuff we're, we were just talking about, right? I think that if you're um, if you're a more of a creative person that you already create content in other platforms, you you get it pretty quickly and you get the benefits pretty quickly. But if you're just, you know, someone who mostly uh, consume media and now you come into a platform that ask you to also become a creator um, and own your creation, I, I think, you know, we see that people are not sure why, how to do it. Um, you know, plus I got to admit, I mean, thank you for saying that onboarding is, you know, very, very easy and, and and great. Um but I think we definitely still have some places to improve it. I think our gaming mechanics are make this very exciting, but there is some learning curve to learn um, what are the rarities of the different cards. We have a concept of staking and creating services and a lot of other kind of more advanced jokers and the other things. And we kind of need still need to figure out how to teach people all these kind of game rules um, you know, in a much easier way. Um, But yeah, I think, look, but in the end of the day also, I think like sometimes in a web free world, we also think that we try to educate everyone that like, yes, everyone has to own their stuff and everyone has to really care about it. And honestly, not everyone has to really care about it. Like, you know, some people just don't care. They, you know, they use TikTok for fun. They will never try to sell this. They don't really care about, like you said, having a brand. Uh, They just want to talk to to their friends. That's totally fine. Um, I think, you know, if you can get ownership for free, perfect. Maybe tomorrow you you will care about this. Maybe tomorrow you will want to do something with your assets. Um, but yeah, the, the majority of people are never going to really care about this, and we need to understand this. And we just need to give them a really fun experience, and you know, something that still gives them some value.
0: Yeah, I think you you touch on something that's so incredibly important, and it just reminded me a uh, couple of years ago when I was still using Facebook like the rest of us uh, far more actively, um, I was having a conversation with a couple of people who had their post settings to public. And they would share things that I would you know, never share because I'm very concerned with privacy. Um, and I remember those conversations going, well, I mean, who's looking at my content? I really don't care if it's public. Um, And it's such an important point, generally speaking, to understand that everyone comes at something from different entry points for different reasons. And there's no homogenous sort of overarching reason for someone's presence or involvement or non-involvement. So as the marketplace, I mean, you cater to so many different types of people with different prerogatives, as you say, an existing creator has a far easier onboarding journey because they already get it compared to someone who is looking for options and maybe don't know the pain points with existing options. And so therefore all of these new selling points are not, not as hot and as sexy as they could be. Um, in terms of your user sort of let's start with a bit of demographics. Uh, do you have any insight on ages and maybe geographies of most of the users on the platform? And are you focusing on specific geographies and age group?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, as a, as a U.S. based startup, you know, the, the U S market is definitely kind of like our primary one. Um, that said, you know, our user base right now comes from about a hundred plus different countries. Um, it's older than you would expect. I got to admit when we started this um, you know kind of high school and college where you know markets we really fought uh very intensely about, and you know we say that like the average age is probably um, you know twenty five plus and not uh, and not younger yet, but that could be also just from you know the kind of influencers who came to our platform, the kind of people who follow them, um, the fact that we didn't put enough marketing budget um, into. Uh, colleges and schools right now. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely very international. Uh, we see a lot of users coming from places like India, um, Indonesia, Turkey, um, Hong Kong, um, these kind of countries for sure. Um, which also, by the way, you know, made us, you know, I think as, a, as, as us, you know, when, when, that's one of the problems as a developer when you live in the U.S., uh, you kind of think of, you think of iPhone first all the time and you put a lot of efforts on the iPhone um, and then you launch and suddenly you realize that 75% of your user base actually have Androids. Um, you know, we really had to kind of shift our mind and uh, start to put a lot more focus on Android devices, which is just harder, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because we we see with Lunam as well, um, the great just variety of people that, that come onto the platform. Um, there's no, I mean, you, you have these rankings and lists of where things are the most active in which geographies, but r- truly when you, when you get down to it, I feel like people everywhere are really quite interested to see what's going to happen, how to get there. But people are also quite hesitant because so much of it is really difficult to understand. Um, so You said that a lot of the users are 25 and up. What do you think is leading to, I almost want to use the word revolution because I remember when I was 25, um, for sure I was not focusing on, this didn't exist but uh, that wasn't part of my of my frame of reference uh what do you think is leading to this shift maybe or change or natural evolution that 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 adults are starting to get back into things that very often i mean it's great when you're a child and you're creative and you know you're pursuing just curiosity and imagination and it's incredible but as all of us adults know, it's difficult to retain this because work and parenting and friends and marriage and, you know, whatever it is, but but it's difficult to hold on to it. So do you think that something is causing the change? Is it because platforms now exist?
1: I think it's it, it's less about the platforms. I think, personally, you know, I, I think it is the creator economy. Um, so there's, there, there's two things, like, you know, Two big waves here. One is the fact that, you know, everyone is reading about uh their neighbor um, you know, starting a TikTok account and suddenly making a lot of money, or selling something online, or creating a dance movement, or et cetera. It's like these stories just are, are in the news and the media all the time, which means that a lot more people want to become creators, a lot more people started to think about, huh? Maybe I can do the same. Maybe it's not going to be a change my profession, but maybe I can get you know another extra thousand dollar a month from you know doing something. Um, so we definitely see a lot of a lot of movement of people who start to experiment and explore uh, this kind of uh, lifestyle. Add to uh, you know add to that, of course, everything that happened after COVID, the fact that people want uh, to have uh, revenue streams that they can do from anywhere around the world, where they can travel more. Uh, where they don't need to go to an office, uh, I think that's a definitely um, a big wave that kind of uh, pushes this industry more uh, forward. And then, uh, you know, it is AI. I mean, I remember the first time I used Midjourney, and I put this prompt, and I got this crazy, amazing art. And I was like, oh my god, this is just so cool. Like, like it, it is bringing you to be a kid again, because it's just, it's just magic. Um in and, and I think a lot more people right now are trying to become their own artists or play with this because it, it just it just feels like magic. Um and as this technology gets better and better, uh, I think it will just fascinate more and more people, um adults or or young.
0: Yeah, I I love this conversation because I see how and I have spoken to people who were so suppressed creatively. And especially if you are not someone who followed the trajectory of becoming an artist and you went into a different field and your artistic abilities and your creativities were really suppressed. Because this, I mean, it's, it's simply a fact that it's the society that we live in where if you're a scientist and a mathematician, and a tech person, going to go higher than if you focus on arts and the social sciences and, and that's just how things have been up until now but suddenly we have people who are really for for a lot of people for the first time as adults or for some even for the first time in their lives they are truly starting to tune in on their own terms to their artistic abilities and interest even you know even before you get to the abilities, but. I feel like Web3 has really made people interested in art again. Um, I mean, it's not the highbrow art where you have to get an invite to the gallery where the exhibition is opening. It's something that is truly available to everyone. So it is an incredibly exciting time in which to operate. But what do you think are some of the challenges that is being faced by the Web3 art space uh, that is perhaps going to take more time and will not be so easy to fix and mitigate.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, probably anyone in the Web3 world, world, you know, has been engaged in some way in the whole uh, royalties discussion that, uh, you know, we all have been having in the last few weeks. Um, Personally, I'm, I'm very sad to see what's going on with the marketplaces and the fact that royalties are going down to basically zero. Um, I think that this was one of the biggest thing um, for NFTs. Uh, It's actually one of the reasons that I got into NFTs was the fact that this notion that you can create one thing and it can keep generating for you some sort of revenue basically forever. uh, That was the magic that just, that enabled so many new business models. And if we're going to take this away out of NFTs, we stay with ownership, which is important, but we kind of kill, again, the other leg that's built this industry and made this uh, such a phenomena. And, um, you know, personally, I think, and it's something that like I kind of work on it a bit, but I think just the NFT standards have to change. And we have to build a new NFT standard, like not ERC-721 and like the next one, which will actually hold um, kind of like marketplace capabilities inside a contract. So you can actually force uh, royalties on the contract level for your NFT. Um, That's that's the future, if you ask me personally. I think we have to get there. the uh, otherwise it's it's we're just killing ourselves like we're really killing a lot of the magic and uh in the industry
0: yeah that's a very very interesting point that you raise because i think i 100% wow. agree with you it's pretty much tragic that these conversations started coming up and and has been met with a certain resistance against the idea of royalties because yeah exactly this is this is what makes this different from what we had before is it is again democratizing and really enabling and empower pe- empowering people um so I, I see our time's running out so maybe one of my of my final questions um as i said in the beginning you know we we saw the same as a launch pad when the market started shifting and we really have had to keep on pivoting to make sure that we, that, that we remain relevant in a rapidly changing space. So as an NFT marketplace, considering what you just said about standards possibly needing to change, is this something that you see yourselves as being at the pioneering front of? Is this something that you feel that as a company, you would like to contribute to shifting and evolving?
1: yeah um uh, absolutely um so you know as i said first of all you know in our marketplace royalties are preserved uh we believe in them um as long as you sell stuff you know inside our marketplace there you'll definitely the creators will always get royalties um unfortunately right now with the current um erc standards if you take the nft you created uh or someone bought on our platform and you will take it and sell it on OpenSea or you know, Blair and other uh, places. Right now, we can't enforce um, royalties. It's just technically impossible. Um, but we are, uh, personally, we are working on a, you know, a different kind of contract, which will actually enforce this. Um, at the same time, it's not going to help, you know, if we'll be the ones who support it and that's it. It's something that basically all creators or all the creators will have to start to support it. And I think that if if enough big creators will demand this and support it, the big marketplaces won't have a, a choice because at the end of the day, you know, content wins. Like, you know, we, we see, you know, with Blair, Blair, for example, right now is, is a bit of a, it's a bit of a phenomenon, but they basically bribe users to use them. They give free money for users who are going to come and use them. Um, but, you know, long-term, this can be a sustainable business model. Long-term, the places who will have the best content are going to, want to be the ones who are going to win, uh, which means that creators do have power. Uh, they just need to kind of you know, gather together and enforce it.
0: Yeah, that, that is such a beautiful message that I almost want to end right there. Uh, but final question. This is a tricky one because we are now almost at the end of... Q1 2023 and we've seen a lot of things happen and perhaps some of those things we anticipated and others not so much um and and every person I guess at the beginning of the year had a very distinct impression of how they think how they thought the year was going to evolve but one quarter into well almost one quarter into the year what do you think that 2023 is going to hold for NFTs as a technology with whatever the use case may be
1: So I think we're going to really see the shift um, from PFP projects and art, uh, which I think is going to decrease, um, partially because of royalties, partially because, um, you know, it's just not as hot as it used to be. Um, And we're going to see the shift to NFTs as uh, technology to enable different kind of business models behind stuff that we look like Web2. Um, and we'll see a lot of other bigger brands like Nike and others start to um, come out with products that as NFT in the back end, even if they don't even name that there's NFT in the back end. Uh, but it's just going to be the technology uh, enablement uh, for the product. Um, in the end of the day, it, I think it's great for all of us because uh, if people will start to own NFTs, even if they don't really know they own NFTs, it will still allow them to get exposure for this market, and um, you know potentially start to read about it more. And uh, I think the old market is going to advance in there. I think that's probably what you've seen in NFT Paris. That's why there's still you know fifteen thousand people and builders who go to this conference. Um, you know, it, it's the old saying, right? When the market is done, it's the best time to build. Uh, I, I think that's what we're starting going to see. Um, it's kind of like what was between 2001 to 2004 or five. So I don't think 2023 is a 2005 of Web 2, but maybe 2024 uh going to be the 2005.
0: Yeah, exciting times. It's, uh, it's definitely the year uh, to see how things are going to shift from what we had in... 2021 and having come through and survived 2022 but at the same time 2022 was a good year because I think the great reset that needed to happen um and needs to happen after every bull market I mean we 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 tend to go and work in extremes in this industry so unfortunately the more extreme something is to the one end the more you are going to experience the equal opposite Uh, and this is what has been happening but I see very much on the ground that things are starting to shift. And there's a there's more of a sanity. Um, and I'm sure that we are again going to get to that point where people are going to have the mad rush and the prices are going to shoot up. And the media is again going to report on only the sensation. But at the same time, I think that the underlying uh, sober approach that we are learning to have uh, with this technology is going to reap rewards. Um, Yeah, Shahar, thank you so much for an incredibly uh, just rich conversation Um, in terms of Revel and where people are able to reach you and how to get started. um, I suppose your website would be a place to start. So let me just see. So it's Revel.xyz. Uh, And then I know you are also on Twitter and on Discord. Where would be, if people want to become a more active part of the community and maybe connect with other creators and with other um, collectors, where would be some of the best platforms for them to go to connect with the other members of the audience?
1: Yeah, I would say Discord. Obviously, uh, we have a pretty active Discord community. Um, and then actually on the app itself, we have a full chat and um, so you can actually talk to other creators, uh, comment on their stuff, etc. So that's, we see thousands of conversation happen there every single day
0: brilliant uh any closing words before we go words of wisdom wisdom gained over your many many years in business and now this newfound journey in web3 and nfts um yeah what do you want to leave us with today
1: yeah i want to say i think that um first of all if you're into nfts i think um try to not be uh depressed from all the pr especially the more General crypto finance uh, stuff that's going on, FTX, Silvergate. um, You know, understand that NFTs is uh, can be very distinct from Web three or from like crypto. Crypto can go down and the prices can go down, but NFTs technology enablement uh, can you know flourish. And uh, yeah, and like you said, you know, it's all cycles. So as much as uh, it can be tough. And uh, sometimes depressing, uh, this is the best time to build. Um, you know, good times will come.
0: Yeah, as, as the movie, uh, the Kevin Costner movie says, I mean, build it and they will come. And that certainly is come. what we have been doing. Uh, I, I think the the best sense of solidarity that one gets working in this industry is always during a market like this. When yeah, everyone who was only here for profits, they they they've moved on to something else for the time being. And the rest of us that are that remain standing, we we are here because we have a vision and we can see where we are coming from. We can see where we are going or would like to go, and and we are taking the steps and building to get there. So for that reason, very very happy to have spoken to you today. I think what you guys are building, especially when it comes to really focusing and prioritizing the creators, because um, that's always the problem with any platform that you know originally gives a lot of opportunity, but at some point becomes more platform focused than user focused. Um, and I think in this space, in the Web3 space, we really have an opportunity to do things differently And it's always sad when it's not taken. And it's always very heartening to see companies who really stand up for these beliefs that the reason that they are in the space is because this is a better way of really just enabling collaboration between different people. Um, And who better to foster collaboration between than creators and people who want, who choose, who actively choose to consume the content that is being created. So, yeah, it's been a lovely privilege and an honor to hear about Revel and about you. Um, I look forward to what is to come. Um, very excited to see how you guys are going to pivot from one stage of the business and the industry to the next. And uh, yeah, we we will be on the sidelines cheering and watching very closely because I think, Sounds like you have your head in the game in a way that a lot of creators will be able to relate to. Um, And ultimately, that that is who we are serving. We are serving these masses of people that really are trying to use new technologies to recreate or create for the first time things in a way that serves them. And not only the platforms that they are using. So yeah, it, it's been absolutely amazing. Shahar, thank you so much. I didn't ask earlier, where are you based? You you said you're in the US.
1: Um, I, I was in the US. I actually moved out during the pandemic and now trying to find my new base, uh, to be honest. Uh I, you know. Working remotely mostly, I yeah, spend a lot of time in Tel Aviv, um, but people, yeah, but still trying to figure out uh, where you I want to base myself.
0: Yeah, I, I have exactly the same problem. And every time I go to a country I haven't been, it feels like, okay, so I can cross this off my list. This is not the place I'll be. <laughs> so. Like the the list of of options and possibilities are getting shorter, but it's still very difficult to settle on. Okay. This is the destination where I'm supposed to be. But I mean, Tel Aviv, I know there's a lot happening in the, in the, in the startup space. Um, so it's definitely not the worst place if you are going to temporarily base yourself.
1: Yeah, 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 and uh, yeah, I can, I can send definitely send you some recommendation for other places as well. Lisbon, um, Berlin. I would appreciate
0: uh, it. Have- <laughs> 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 Maybe your recommendations can shorten my list even more, <laughs> so the the, the shortlisted <laughs> candidates can start showing up. <laughs> it was lovely to connect. I'll see you around. Cheers, Sahar.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.
0: You've been listening to the future of NFTs. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming platform like Spotify or iTunes. Connect with AdLunum on Twitter
1: at AdLunum Inc. Or our website, AdLunum.cc.